absolutely love this tune. If it's uh, morning, noon, or night, no matter what time it is, good uh, morning, good afternoon, good evening to you listening to Hockey the Podcast. Yet another episode bringing you all there is to know about the hockey world, particularly from South Africa. I am Derek Alberts, your host as always. I'm the guy who knows a little bit about hockey, but the man with all the know-how is the man with the plan, Tyron Jabu Barnard, my co-host and uh, partner in crime. Tyron, how are you doing? Yeah, Derek, uh, great to be back here again. And uh, look, we, we're rolling out the red carpet tonight because uh, we are not even going to limit our guests to people based in South Africa. Um, of course, we have had uh, a few guys based over in Europe. But uh, tonight we're going all the way to, and just for your benefit, I'll say it this way, the Netherlands. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, uh, and I'll ask him to expand on mm. why it's such a critical detail that I like people to focus on. But we'll get into that a little later. The most important part of, uh, of this entire conversation is who are we talking about? And, and you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in a previous episode that if, um, if, if you're blind and you just happen to press play on the podcast, then it would come as a surprise. But generally 99.9% of our listeners actually went and physically sought out our podcast, saw the headline, saw the photo. So know exactly who we're about to introduce. Yeah, and it's uh, one of South Africa's finest uh, over the past uh, decade, past 15 years. It is none other than uh, Justin Reed ross Justin, welcome to Hockey the Podcast. Thanks, gents. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, Justin, we, we find you sitting currently at home in the Netherlands, um, where you play hockey for Amsterdam. I'm not even going to attempt, uh, attempt to say the full name of the club, although I do <laughs> have a shirt up here. Uh, the Hockey and Bandy Club. But um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, how are you and, and how has uh, your hockey been affected by the coronavirus? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, we've just had a public holiday today, so no work, uh, time with the family, and it was 24 degrees, which is basically tropical for uh, for the Netherlands. So uh, I might be sunburned as a result. Um, it's, it's been interesting. Uh, obviously, the season has been cancelled, so there's no hockey. Uh, we found that out, oh, I'd probably say about five weeks ago, five, six weeks ago. Um, and while the Netherlands has been a little bit less strict than, than other countries, uh, South Africa, for example, when it comes to lockdown rules and, um, and isolation, um, we still haven't been able to do any hockey. Um, although that started up again a little bit this week. So I got back on the pitch with Amsterdam on Monday evening. Um, only allowed 20 people on the field at a time that's including uh, coaching staff. So we just made it. And we can't come within a meter and a half of each other. So obviously no tackling, no one-on-ones, no mini games, nothing like that. It's literally just passing and shooting a goal. So uh, nice to be on the pitch anyway. Well, I was going to say, that's not the worst uh, practice for you. to put the ball <laughs> at the top of the D and just uh, smash a whole bunch of drag flicks uh, to everyone's stand in the way. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it, it, it works in my favor, especially at my advanced age. I can just hover around the top of the circle and, uh, and place balls where I need to. Justin, it's quite interesting because my first encounter of you was at an under-21 level um, when uh, you were playing for the Northern Blues, or I don't even know if they were called Northern Blues back then, but the Northern Blues. Yeah, they were, yeah. um, And I was actually coaching 
the Eastern Gauteng under 21s, even though I was just 21. And uh, that day, uh, you know, I had actually seen you in a district game before that, but that day, I think you banged away eight or nine penalty corners. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I'm quite not sure that's true. Uh, no, yeah, well, listen, we were Easterns. We, we took a lot. But um, <laughs> I remember you knocking away at least a couple. But uh, you only started doing your drag flicks quite late uh, in your life. Uh, I was reading an article the other day where it said you only started flicking at age 17. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think my whole hockey kind of career started quite late compared to, to a lot of other people. Um, I grew up in PE where at junior school, you couldn't play hockey until standard five or it's like grade seven um, at grade PE. So I was a rugby player. I absolutely hated hockey. Um, my dad, obviously having the background he had with hockey and, and being a Springbok hockey player, um, or uh, yeah, it was Springboks back in those days and then became protos eventually. Um, I never wanted to play hockey for some reason. I really didn't enjoy it. And, uh, my dad got a new job up in Pretoria. We had to move. They didn't offer rugby at school. And yeah, I started playing hockey around age 13 and figured out pretty quickly that I enjoyed it and I had some kind of talent for it, I suppose. Um, and then, yeah, I think it would have been looking at, yeah, just, just around the time of the 2004 Olympics. So I would have been either 17 or 18, just turned 18. And I remember seeing, uh, I, I bunked school a few times to watch the Olympic hockey matches. And my dad permitted that at the time. My mom had a bit of a meltdown about it. But um, I remember seeing, you know, some some world class drag flicking happening at that stage, and I was like, "This is cool. This has to happen. I need to be able to do this." Um, and yeah, from that moment, I kind of just started planting balls at the top of the circle and trying to figure it out. It was early days of drag flicking. South Africa wasn't really renowned for having a drag flick at that stage. Beefy Nickel was probably the the only South African at that kind of top international level doing it at the time. Um, so there weren't there weren't many people that were able to coach the technique and, and and you know get get tips and tricks from. So it was a lot about kind of watching videos, watching the Olympics. We we taped everything on on VHS cassettes back in those days, and I just used to rewatch those uh, those games over and over and over. And, and what did you find from watching those? Because I, I promise you, I, I can watch a million YouTube clips, VHS cassettes, <laughs> the works of how to do a drag flick or, or perfect the art, and, and I won't come anywhere near close. Um, yet, yeah, you, you created a, 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 a reputation as a, one of the most deadliest strikers uh, in the game. And, yeah, I mean, wh- what did it take? I mean, I, I know practice makes perfect, but it's got to be a bit more than that. Yeah, I guess it, it's a combination of a little bit of youthful, youthful ignorance. Uh, I just thought, well, you know, if I do this enough times, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be able to do it. Um, but I realized early on that for some reason with the technique that I developed by just kind of flicking balls on my own, I'd never had any tips, you know, or any coaching. I just kind of developed this technique, but it seemed to generate quite a bit of power, um, which in the early days helped because I couldn't aim at all. Um, I was, you know, like literally like shooting a machine gun. It was just spraying all (laughs) over the place. But if I hit the target, chances were, uh, it was going in the goal. Uh, it wasn't getting, it wasn't getting saved. So, um, you know, in the early days, it was just about trying to hit the target and just flick as many balls as possible. So, um, I remember 
just just before every training session at school, I used to just go put balls at the top of the circle and flick and until I, the very last minute when we had to warm up. And as soon as training was over, I'd go put balls down and I'd flick again. And eventually my dad would drag me off the pitch and I'd have to head home. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I think in the early days, that was that was kind of, you know, my mentality was just do as do more than anybody else and and figure it out in your own way. And, you know, when I eventually got into the national mix a couple of years later, I remember um, in my matric year, which was the year of the 2004 Olympics, and uh, the South African team was training at Tux um, with Paul Revington as coach. And he actually wrote me in uh, to go train with the team. Um, and I remember him saying to me, one day, I was like, yeah, I just know that anytime I drive past Pretoria Boys High Astro, there's going to be one person on the pitch and it's going to be you standing there flicking balls or hitting balls or doing something. Um, and that's why you're going to get somewhere. Uh, so I think, yeah, maybe that kind of mindset of just wanting to wanting to achieve something and wanting to kind of stand out a little bit um, at, a, at a young age kind of got me to where I am. And when you started to perfect this deadly art of the drag flick and you started to find the back of the net with regularity, did you realize how oh, I'm onto something special here? Yeah, there's, I haven't seen many other people capable of doing this. Um, I, th- I think it took a while before I actually reached that level. Um, and I don't think I really got into being at that level where I thought to myself, you know what, I'm actually really good at this. And maybe I can, maybe I can make a career out of playing hockey because I've got, I've developed the skill. Um, you know, my first couple of tournaments for the national team, I didn't flick at all. I think I flicked a couple of balls. You know, obviously during training I was flicking loads, but I never got to flick in matches really, um, uh, because there were better guys in the team at that stage. I think Ian, Ian Simmons, uh, Gareth Carr, there were guys that had been, you know, doing this technique for for, for many many years, um, and that's kind of why after a couple of years of studying South Africa, I actually took up an opportunity to play in Belgium, uh, in Ghent, where I knew that I'd have this kind of uh, pressure on my shoulders I'd be the number one flick in the team and I'd have to go and score goals and I think once I'd done it a season or two in Belgium um, and then a season in Australia uh, when I got the opportunity to come to to, to the Netherlands um, and play in the Hof Cluster that was that was when I realized you know what maybe I can actually have a full go at this. Did, did you move you say you moved from from Grey High to Pretoria? Yeah, so I was a grey grey junior. Yeah, okay. Uh, my dad, my dad's a PE boy. Uh, he went to grey junior and grey high. Um, I was born in Stellenbosch, um, where my dad was director of hockey at Marty's. Um, and then when I was, uh, say, one or two years old, we moved back to PE, um, and I grew up there in the early days. And I think I would have been around ten years old when we moved from from PE up to Pretoria. Uh, where I went to Brooklyn Primary and then eventually Pretoria Boys High. Okay, but then was Pretoria Boys, because you said it was initially, they, they, what was the school that didn't offer rugby? That was my primary school. Brooklyn. Okay, okay. So at grade junior, rugby was, you know, Carl Foot, uh, you'd run around from literally the moment you could, you know, you walk into the, into the school, you were barefoot and you were running with a rugby ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PE boy from, from VP. <laughs> Oh, of course. Well, yeah. geez, I mean, how, how did I miss that? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, you'll know it. Yeah, very, very well. But, uh, okay, yeah. cool. So, okay, so then you, you did go on to Pretoria Boys, but then already the, the love for hockey had been already ingrained, so then you just stuck with it. Made sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think my last year of primary school, I really got into it. And then moving into to Boys High, um, obviously had, uh, you know, a, a pretty good hockey history, um, 
you know, a couple of really good players coming out of the school. Uh, biggest names, obviously, the Fulton brothers, um, you know, Craig, uh, Ned and Jeff, Craig and, uh, and his brother Grant, uh, who were guys that I looked up to and ended up playing with at, uh, at Tucky's as well. Um, played with Grant and, and under Ned as coach. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been quite lucky from, uh, you know, in that regard to, to be able to have played with those guys and, uh, and come up alongside them. Justin, you um, mentioned earlier you've got work now as well. Um, you've obviously been playing hockey overseas for a long time. But yeah. uh, what is it that you do off of the hockey field? Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm in marketing. Um, so I'm a kind of head of marketing at a software company here in Amsterdam. It's a, it's a tech startup. Um, and we do last mile delivery. So basically uh, in the Netherlands, pretty much every web shop um, anything that you can buy online offers either same day or next day delivery um, and our software integrates with web shops and allows them to offer their uh, customers basically a variety of different shipping options so think of same day delivery with a bicycle if you want to have something sustainable or next day delivery with um, the local um, carriers like in the netherlands we have post and l um, and then we also have the international carriers like FedEx, DHL, uh, that are all connected to our platform. So uh, it's a cool company, obviously, with the lockdown and, uh, and you know, the current situation with COVID-19, e-commerce is going through the roof. So I've been busy. Uh, I, haven't been, uh, I haven't been sitting around twiddling my thumbs. And, I mean, I mean that's great stuff to hear. And it's, it's great to hear someone who is uh, set up for life after hockey, although we hope... Uh, Hockey carries on for a while still. And I'm going to ask the question that thousands and thousands of, of South Africans want me to ask, and you know I'm going to ask this question. <laughs> you haven't retired from international hockey yet. So is there is there a, a dwindling hope of, of one more call-up, one more tournament? Um, Jabu, it's a, it's, it's a good question. And, yeah, the choice not to retire was a conscious one. Um after the World Cup in 2014, I was uh, I was pretty serious about having a push, um, you know, to come back and and perhaps play Rio, um, and then again the World Cup uh, in 2018. Um, Rio, obviously, for for a multi multitude of reasons, uh, wasn't on the cards, um, and then. Before the World Cup in 2018, uh, I had quite a few chats with with Mark. Uh, Hopkins, who was then the coach at the time. And the difficulty for me was I was working at the time as well. Uh, obviously, I had a contract uh, with Amsterdam. And yeah, the demands from yeah, uh, Saha at the time, and they still are as far as I understand, is that you have to play IPT or um, as is the PHL, uh, the Premier Hockey League, yeah. um, to, be, to be eligible for selection. Um, and both of those tournaments fell during the hockey season. Um, here in the Netherlands where, you know, I was contracted and I was earning a salary and I was, you know, uh, a, quite a big part of the team. So for me, um, you know, Mark and I explored a couple of ways of trying to, trying to get around that. Um, I always and still am of the opinion that if you've been able to make your way into one of the best leagues in the world uh, and have been able to consistently perform you are able to send footage of yourself playing uh, in those leagues to your coaching staff back home who can then judge whether you are good enough at a certain moment. I don't see seven games in seven days in IPT um, 
necessarily being the benchmark for whether you're good enough to play for the national side. Um, and that's something I stand by to this day. Um, so that, that was one reason that it made it difficult for me to, to uh, be involved in the World Cup. And also uh, the timing of the World Cup itself. Um, tournament was at the end of November, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, and my, uh, my son, Ben, was, uh, was born on the 5th of November. Um, and Mark and I kind of then came to a decision that, yeah, mentally I probably wouldn't be in the right place um, and I wouldn't offer the value that I needed to offer and add to the group um, if I was leaving uh, what would have been a couple of days after the birth of my first child. So that was, uh, that was 2018. And since then, again, uh, it's been very much a case of not much contact with uh, the national coaching staff. Um, I haven't done any reach outs myself, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure how that works these days. Uh, my experience uh, growing up in the national setup was you didn't get hold of the coach uh, and told them you want to play. Uh, they normally came to you and said, you know, we'd, we'd like you to be involved in a group or we'd like to know if you're interested or, you know, we don't even think you're good enough, so we're not even getting a hold of you. And that's kind of the way I see it at the moment. Um, yeah, and I think with the whole situation with uh, with IPTs and, and PHLs and all the kind of selection criteria, uh, yeah, I think, there, I think there are other ways of doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I know that's not the easiest question to answer, but... Uh... Yeah, look, uh, you and I have had some chats, chats about this in, in pubs in Cape Town, and I've had the same discussion with very many uh, uh, players on um, whether an IPT or a PHL yeah. is where we should be selecting or if we should start looking more at club level. And uh, there's some great uh, great opinion on it, and obviously the biggest challenge comes to one that uh, you've experienced right throughout your career with South African hockey, and that is a financial one. Um, yeah, yeah, understand, understand, oh, yeah that, that, that's understandable. And the finances obviously play a massive part. And, you know, these IPTs, for us to get back and play, uh, you know, I had an IPT, if I'm not mistaken, since 2011. Yeah. I think before uh, London Olympics uh, was the last time I played. And, yeah, you know, for me to have come back, I, I've been playing in the Netherlands since 2010. Uh, I've got to pay my own way for that. My club doesn't pay for my flights. Um, that comes out of my own pocket. I've got to take time off from work and I've got to take time away from my club, which has financial implications from both. Um, you've got to find your own accommodation. You've got to pay your IPT costs, which you know now are, if I'm also not mistaken, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, or close to 10 grand, um, yeah. everything included. Um, and you can argue, yeah, but you're earning, you're earning euros and uh, you know throw everything else in the mix. Um, I will counter that by saying I don't think it's it's fair to ask players that are, you know, committed and contracted by a club uh, overseas um, to run the risk of injuring themselves by playing seven games in seven days. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's unrealistic. Um, and I know that, that that's the argument is, you know, there's no other way to do IPT. I get that. Um, but I don't think that IPT should be the sole deciding factor on whether players are good enough to play for the national side. Um, and I, I, you know, a, a good example of that is a player like Nick Spooner, who who broke into the side only in the last couple of years, but had been performing uh, consistently at the highest level in Europe uh, at Harvester Huda for years. Um, yeah, of course, uh, and, and was completely forgotten. Of course, he's uh, got an EHL final goal and exactly. medal, and, and he wasn't able to to get called up. 
Speaking of EHL, you have had the opportunity of playing in the EHL with Amsterdam. Yeah. What is the EHL experience like for you? Um, incredible. You know, when you ask that question, uh, I, I got the goosebumps up the back of my neck. <laughs> um, it's um, it's everything you kind of think it is on when you when you see it on TV, um, and you know it makes hockey exciting. It's it's the, the kind of theatre of it. It's the commentary. Uh, obviously, you know the voice of Nick Irvine uh, is something that <laughs> that is synonymous with uh, with the EHL. Um, you know the, the the jingle, the tune, the the, the action, um, and the experimental side of it. You know, I didn't play in a season where, what did I? No, I don't think I did. I didn't play in a season where your field goals counted double. Um, you know, but that kind of stuff uh, makes it exciting and makes it, um, you know, it, it, it's pushing the boundaries of what hockey can be. And you know, that's the thing that I love about the sport is that we haven't stayed static and we try to make it as as entertaining as possible. Um, because you know, hockey isn't a TV-friendly game. It's not something that people are, are easily able to follow on TV if they've never seen it before. So the EHL, I think, made that a lot more accessible to a lot more people. Um, and obviously, you know, you, I played 10 years in the same competition. Playing in the EHL gives you opportunity to play against clubs that you probably never would have had the chance to play against. Um, and that, that is exciting. And, and players that you, that you wouldn't have been able to play against. So speaking of uh, the Netherlands, Justin, so... I mean, we've heard Gary Player speak about him being, well, he'll tell us that uh, he's probably the most well-traveled sportsman on earth, uh, having made yeah. uh, hundreds of thousands of flights uh, around the globe uh, yearly. And, I mean, you, you must be one of the most well-traveled South African sportsmen. Um, you, you made the move as a very young player, 21 years old. I think you went overseas, so the opportunity presented itself. When you went over... Yeah. Was it initially thoughts of, oh, I'll be able to play a season or two and then head back to SA? Or did you realize, wow, this is going to become my new life for well over a decade and, and beyond? Um, very good question, Derek. I, uh, I made the move over in 2008 to Belgium, um, to Ghent, which is obviously a little small town uh, in, um, in the Dutch-speaking region of, of Belgium. And I went at the time with Tommy Hammond and, and Wade Payton, uh, still two of my closest mates. And we went over, you know, to play a season really. And after the first season, we got asked whether we wanted to come back and play again. And we thought that was a good idea. So myself and Wade went back, if I'm not mistaken. I've got to get my, I've got to get my facts right. This is a while ago. Um, <laughs> Actually, no, I think Wade actually didn't come back. Myself and Lloyd Norris-Jones. No, no, I'm getting that wrong as well. It was myself and Wade. <laughs> anyway, I went, I went back was, to Belgium. It was definitely you. <laughs> I was definitely there. Um, and that second season, halfway through the season, there were some financial problems at the club and it wasn't going to be possible for us to go back for the second half of the season. Um, I was in... Uh, Pretoria at the time and I remember getting the call and yeah it was myself and Wade Payton and we decided not to go back and Lloyd Norris Jones was talking to a club in um, Australia at the time Guildford in Perth and we were chatting and he said you know I can throw your name into the hat are you interested in coming over I said yes and yeah, that was that. We we chatted to the club and went over and played in Guildford in Perth. Uh, myself, uh, Lloyd Norris-Jones and Red Halkett. 
And during that season, it was uh, 2010, so it was World Cup year and Commonwealth Games. So we had the Delhi Games uh, and we had the Hockey World Cup in Delhi in the same year. And during the Hockey World Cup, I got chatting to a couple of people about possibly making a move to the Netherlands um, and ended up basically with a verbal agreement to go and play for Den Bosch Hockey Club, which is where yeah uh, our other... Uh, very well-known South African international uh, in the Netherlands, uh, Austin Smith, uh, is an honorary life member. Um, <laughs> so at the time, uh, Ozzy was there and um, Lloyd Madsen was playing at Pinnake. And out of the blue, I got a call from uh, Giles Bonnet, uh, who was the coach of Pinnake at the time. Uh, Giles will obviously be very well-known to the, to the listeners on this show. Um, and Giles basically said, what are, what are Den Bosch offering you? If we match it, do you want to move to Amsterdam or other? And yeah, that was kind of the, the turning point for me. With all due respect to Dembos and to Austin, uh, I, I decided that I wasn't going to be a farmer. I was going to go live in the big city. And uh, I, I decided to, uh, yeah, to change my mind uh, at, at the 11th hour. And uh, I also known Giles for a very long time. Giles, my father, had played for the national side together. And I had a lot of respect for him as a coach. And uh, he'd actually managed to almost organize my, uh, my, my club in Belgium for me. So I felt like I owed him a little something. Um, and when he offered for me to come play at Pinnake, that, that was a great moment. And uh, yeah. Uh, that that kind of kick-started things. So I guess back to the original question of when did I realize or when did I think that I was going to settle down, uh, that took still a couple of years. Um, after the London Olympics, I managed to convince my girlfriend at the time, my wife, uh, Ash, to move over um, and come and live in Amsterdam for a couple of months, which turned into a couple of years. And yeah, before we knew it, we both kind of had fallen in love with the city and uh, we got married and moved back over here and decided that this was going to be home. And, I mean, you said that, you know, it took you a couple of years before you realized that this will be it. And when you originally got there, so you're 21 years old, coming from this massive expanse that is South Africa, hockey's magnificent, but of course it's not, it's competing with the likes of uh, rugby and football and cricket. And of course we all know which sports are winning that battle, particularly when it comes yeah. to, to, to money. And when you get over there, this wide-eyed youngster, I mean, did it blow you away? in terms of the hockey community, the hockey atmosphere over in Europe? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in Belgium at the time, hockey was still seen and, and might still be like that a little bit today. It was, it was seen as a, quite an elite sport, um, which was obviously very opposite to what I kind of experienced it as in South Africa. Um, not that it wasn't, um, you know, an expensive sport to play in South Africa. It's just not perceived as, you know, your, your upper crust, only playing sport whereas in Belgium that's almost very much the case um, and I remember freaking out at the fact that a sandwich at the clubhouse cost I think <laughs> at the time probably four euro um, which converting was pushing 50 rand and I was freaking out I was like there's no way I'm ever eating at the club um, <laughs> and and that first season um, I won't I won't tell you what, what what we got paid because we also also got paid in uh, in envelopes of cash which yeah, I guess I can say that now, 15 years later or 12 years later. Um, but I remember myself, um, Wade and Tommy, I think each of us came home with almost 80% of our salary still intact because we were so scared to spend anything. We, we spent so little money that first season. And I remember coming back to South Africa and going, I'm rich. 
<laughs> I am absolutely flush. Um, and it was, it was obviously the exchange rate was beneficial at the time, but um, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. And you know, I think it was a it was a difficult decision at the time because you know we were still studying and we you know we still had aspirations of playing for the national side, but. Yeah, I think it was the best possible decision I ever made because it threw me out uh, of my little cocoon that I was living in in South Africa. And, you know, I had to start thinking independently and start managing, you know, my life and my money and my future. Um, and yeah, that was, that was looking back now, probably a pivotal moment in my life, not only in my hockey career. Uh, Justin, you, you obviously are at Amsterdam, arguably the biggest club in Dutch history. But uh, you also come from a generation of South Africans uh, who have moved over and play uh, in the Hoofdeklasse or in the German League. So, you know, you've mentioned them, Rhett Halkett, Lloyd Norris-Jones, Austin Smith, uh, Tim Drummond, Wade Payton for a while. Uh, was, there, was, there, was there one of the Oaks that you enjoyed playing against the most and getting one over one of your, uh, your country teammates? Uh, very, very good question. Um, I think I have to say this just because of uh, our friendship uh, now, but probably Austin. Um, in the early days, Ozzy and I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we we disliked each other, but we probably weren't the best of mates. Um, <laughs> I think we were both competing, um, you know, pretty highly strung. Uh, I thought Ozzy always had you know a stick up his ass. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. You might have to you might have to beep that out. Um, <laughs> But, um, and he probably thought I was way too highly strung and thought the world of myself. Um, but, you know, Ozzy and I have played in many te- many national teams together. We played Hockey India League together. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think we both see our, ourselves as kind of flying the flag for, for South African hockey here in the Hope Cluster and in the Netherlands and Europe, I suppose, in general, with, with a couple of other players. Um, and, yeah, I think we always just had good battles. Uh, you know, we knew how to ride each other up. Uh, we knew what it meant to each other, uh, you know, playing at this level. Um, and, you know, I think we'd probably be the first ones to, uh, to have a go at each other on the field, but we'd also be the first ones to, to grab a beer together as, as soon as the game was over and, uh, and chat through some, some spice from, from the game. So, um, yeah, probably, probably Aussie. Um, in the early days, it probably would have been more Lloyd Norris-Jones. Uh, yeah. Chucky, Chucky and I playing uh, university level together, I remember almost losing both my kneecaps to him uh, if I ever tackled him. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck wasn't known for his tackling back ability. He'd run hard just to, just to take you out. Um, and there was a famous moment in, uh, in Perth when we were playing together where he did that. And I remember running after him, grabbing his stick out of his hands and hurling it into the Perth Hockey Stadium um, <laughs> out of sheer That's frustration and, uh, and, and anger. So, uh, yeah, between, uh, between Ozzy and Chuck, uh, those are probably my, my two favorite... Uh, teammates slash uh, opponents. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Chuck, Chuck we know uh, he, he had a, a great temper. He posted a, a wonderful story the other day on Facebook about his international debut. Yep. Where he went onto the field. He didn't really look who he was tackling. He didn't really tackle. And within, I think it was something like 40 seconds, green card. Um, I don't even so, think it was 40 seconds. And I can guarantee you that his eyes were closed when he was making that tackle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what a great thing. He's, his first involvement in international hockey was to go run back to the bench and sit on the, yeah. the naughty chair for a little bit. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Chuck in a nutshell. 
just obviously Amsterdam, uh, they have a lot of Hoofde class titles, but they haven't had one in a while. Is there is there a little bit of uh, pressure building up across uh, the club? Or is there a little bit of uh, the curse of Bambino there? Or, I mean, wh- what's it like there when a club who's been so successful goes on a little bit of a, uh, with no disrespect, a little bit of a barren spell no, in, their, no. in their terms? No disrespect at all. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fact. Um, I joined the club uh, two years after um, their last titles. I think their last title was, was 12. Uh, yeah. They won it two years in a row. Um, and yeah, in the last six years, we've, we've come close uh, a number of times. We've made the playoffs every year. Um, we finished twice, well, second twice, sorry. Um, we got a, a runners up EHL medal, which happened a week after losing the, the, the Hope Cross of the playoff finals. Um, so, you know, we've, we've come close. Um, and I think there are probably a number of reasons for that. Um, in the first run, where we where we finished second in the Hope Cross and finished second in the EHL, we had Alison Annan as our coach uh, for probably 70% of the season when she got the Dutch women's national team job. Um, and I think her leaving just came at the, at, at the precisely the wrong time for us. We were unstoppable that season. Nobody could, nobody could touch us. Um, and the, the interim coach that came in, um, yeah, probably didn't have the same, um, yeah, I guess way of, of getting the best out of the team. Um, and that, yeah, ultimately, yeah, backfired, I think, in terms of in the way the season ended. Um, yeah, and then a couple of years ago, you know, finishing second against Kampong, where we'd, where we'd fought back to win the second game away from home and, and, and force the third uh, game three decider. Um, yeah, uh, I can I can probably take uh, a great deal of that on my shoulders in terms of not putting away penalty corner opportunities that we had in that game. Um, and yeah, that, it's, a, it's an interesting question that you, that you pose because it's something that I dreamt of when I moved to Amsterdam. When I got the opportunity to join Amsterdam, I came because I wanted to I wanted to become Dutch champion that was something that's been my dream since uh, you know I knew what kind of the hope class it was and and playing for a club like Amsterdam and winning the championship is is still a dream to this day so um, it's definitely something that I, I uh, think about it's I think a lot of people at the club think about um, and yeah I, I don't think it's going to be long uh, before Amsterdam gets the opportunity again to uh, to lift the trophy and speaking of the Amsterdam side, I mean, obviously here in South Africa, the kids from PSR know uh, Tain Rolf and Nikki Leish quite well. Uh, obviously, now retired Robert Tiggs, uh, previous keeper Lawrence Gudegebira. We yeah. obviously all know Billy Bucker quite well. Uh, but who who else is there that uh, the South Africans should watch out for? They're going to be a big name in hockey in the future. Um, oh, look, I mean, uh, there's one name that you haven't mentioned there, and this is a player that gets forgotten, I think, 99% of the time just because of his quiet demeanor um, and, and how he goes about his game. But, um, yeah, Fergus Kavanagh, uh, Australian international, who's got, um, you know, probably close to 300 games uh, for the Australian side, uh, World Cup. Uh, Olympic uh, Commonwealth Games Champions Trophy medals coming out of his ears um, the epitome of uh, you know 
uh, a player that just does his job perfectly every game. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one player that I feel like needs to be mentioned uh, without a doubt um, and, and probably should be recognized a lot more. But he's also probably very, very happy just, you know, going about his business. Um, but I think in terms of up-and-coming players, um, there's some there's some really interesting youth players coming through the the ranks at Amsterdam. Um, one that joined us recently from a club called Hutton, um, which produced the likes of Martin Ekelboom and uh, Jan Willem Besant, both players that played for Amsterdam and played for the Dutch national team. Um, a young kid called um, uh, Floris Middendorp. Um, yeah. Technic- technically one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Uh, just silky smooth hands uh, ability to to move the ball in the air on the ground um glide into space um and if you follow any hofkasa highlights uh you would have seen a goal that he scored um a one two combination from the sideline with uh, with uh, valentin verga um where they literally just one two back and forth along the baseline until he just tapped it into the goal um and that just shows kind of, you know, his ability to read the game and, and play simple hockey. Um, and he's definitely somebody that I think uh, you can keep an, out for, uh, an eye out for in the future. Um, yeah, and I think we've got a, a couple of, uh, of other interesting players coming through. Um, really, really good centre midfielder, Turn Kropola, who came over from Kampong. Um, Brent van Beenen, who plays up front, uh, very, very talented striker. Vichert uh, Schut uh, came over from Harkese a couple of years ago, an outside defender who's uh, just a beast of a defender. Big, big boy, long reach, um, passionate hockey player. Um, I think there's some really, really good young players coming through. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot to look forward to if you watch uh, and follow Amsterdam in the next couple of years. Just the, other, the other thing we're... Sorry, Derek. The no other thing we're, uh, Amsterdam have been really, really good uh, is in the indoor hockey. And I know... Uh, you don't play too much of that, but uh, always competitive in indoor hockey and obviously the, the base of the Dutch uh, indoor um, squad that went yeah. to the, uh, the World Cup and won it was from Amsterdam. I mean, you guys have won the Hoofde Klaas indoor many, many times over the past couple of years. How tempted uh, or how involved have you got in the indoor and how tempted are you to get involved in indoor uh, towards the back end of your career? Um, very good question as well. Um, for me, it's always been quite tough uh, because December holidays have normally often been the time uh, that I've had to get back to South Africa and spend time with family. And that's obviously when the majority of the, of the, the indoor season happens here in the Netherlands. Um, so it's often been a moment for me to t- take some time off. With that said, I have got a, a Dutch indoor championship medal. Uh, I played the first round of uh, one of the seasons that they won. Um, I was on the team list. And I, I, I've got my medal hanging proudly, um, <laughs> I, I, will, I might add. Um, but no, on a, in all seriousness, um, I think looking at this team and the squad and the depth that, that they have, um, I never really thought it was actually worth my time trying to actually break into that mix. Uh, there were guys that kind of, you know, uh, commit almost the entire outdoor season to be prepared for the indoor season. Um, and... Yeah, uh, I think that that's you know better left to those guys. Uh, I always loved playing indoor, but never enough um, to kind of have a full go at every season in and out. Um, uh, I think even in back in South Africa, you know, there are a number of players that are just at a different level when it comes to indoor. And as much as I love playing PSI, and and, and hopefully I can come back and play a couple more times, um, 
yeah, I, I still think they're just uh, a number of players that are better at it than I am and uh, are probably way more fun to watch than just a tall, lanky defender who just can block tackle at the back. Justin, going now, now to the outdoor arena once again. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why you've been in Europe for over a decade and have solidified yourself as almost a, a, a local Dutch player to, to, to a degree. And, and that's yeah. because of your achievements uh, over there. And, and it goes without saying that, that you have achieved an incredible amount um, during your stint over in Europe, uh, including... Uh, top goal scorer in 2015. Also, you're the top goal scoring foreigner. I mean, those must be an incredible accolades to to look back on and and be must be pretty chuffed to have achieved that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the the top goal scorer season was was a special one for me. Um, it was my first season at Amsterdam, and I kind of had come into the team, and I think a lot of people had kind of you know looked a bit strangely at this. You know, giant of Dutch hockey deciding to go with a, a relatively unknown South African player uh, to to be their first choice flicker for the season. Um, and yeah, my uh, my first game at the club started somewhat um, yeah not in the ideal fashion. Uh, we played against Tilburg, which uh, at the time should have been a relatively easy victory for us at home. First game, and we drew nil. Um, which was very unspectacular. Uh, and I think I missed about four or five corners in that game, uh, probably out of sheer nerves. Um, but went on to have a really, really good season and, um, yeah, you know, pulled a couple of, of last-minute goals, uh, you know, after the buzzer to pull victory from the from the jaws of, uh, I guess, a draw or, or often defeat. Um, and finishing that season as top scorer of the, of the Hofdaster was, was quite special. Um, and during that season, I, I wasn't even aware of it until it actually happened. But uh, I overtook um, an Englishman by the name of Dave Matthews, uh, who had also played for Amsterdam um, as a top scoring foreign player in the league. At the time, I think that was with 100, uh, uh, sorry, it was with 82 goals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and yeah, like that, that was obviously, you know, almost six years ago now. Um, and I've obviously pushed on a bit since then. And I'm not entirely sure exactly how many goals I'm on now. I think it's around the 170 mark, 175. Um, and I'm hoping that that's going to be a record that, that I can uh, hold on to for a while. Um, it's something that I'm particularly proud of. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's something that I don't think, uh, uh, will be hopefully won't be touched for for a couple of years. Yeah, I reckon that Tyron would probably be able to give us those numbers shortly. The man loves numbers and stats. Now, <laughs> following that breakthrough year in 2015, you said that you're this relatively unknown South African being tasked with a, a very tough job and, and you handled it with a plum. What was 2016 like? Because now suddenly you're anything but unknown and you're a man with a massive target on his back. Yeah, yeah, very, very, uh, yeah, appropriate way of putting it, I think. Um, obviously, coming off a season like that, people start looking at you a little bit differently, especially as a drag flicker. People start uh, analyzing your technique a bit more, trying to find out, figure out your weaknesses and, uh, you know, where they can kind of, you know, work, work against you a little bit. Um, I wouldn't remember off the top of my head uh, how successful the season was. Um, I think I scored a, a fair few goals. I don't think it was quite as many, or not, not even close to as many as the uh, as the season before that. Um, but um, 
yeah, I think it was a, a successful season. I think of the six seasons that I've had at Amsterdam, I've had, uh, I'd probably say three or four of those, I've, I've finished the season as, as top scorer of the club. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's obviously been a successful run. Um, and, you know, I guess the game is is always evolving, is always developing. And just when you think you might be, you know, getting to the top of a certain technique or a certain uh, skill, uh, you know, defenses start doing something differently and running out a different way or the keeper starts offsetting a different way or, you know, it becomes a bit difficult because you get a bit old. Um, and that's obviously the, the, the joy of sport is being able to challenge yourself to constantly develop and, you know, uh, improve your skills and, and try and figure out how you can stay one step ahead of, uh, of the competition. Justin, I mean, you, you speak about uh, big goals and, and big tournaments and, and being proud, but uh, there was another tournament on, and on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks back, we had uh, your former national coach, Greg Clark, of course, talking about his time at the Runchy Rhinos in the league. And, yeah. you know, he, he said that it was great to have you and Austin there because you basically helped him run the team. Um, Austin subsequently did tell me that uh, the two of you ran the bench. But um, <laughs> I'll agree no, with no. Austin on that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you guys um, went out there and in that first year won the Hockey Indy League. I mean, obviously, we know the Hockey Indy League became defunct and you know, they want to restart it as a Hockey Fives League. But while it was there, it was pretty cool and it must have been a, a pretty cool experience to be part of. Yeah, in- incredible experience, uh, Jobu. That was, you know, looking back at it now, um, I-, I was running through my pictures the other day. It was it was Orson's birthday yesterday, so I was trying to uh, flip through my phone and try and find a, a good photo of him uh, in a turban or something uh, similar, <laughs> which I couldn't find. They're probably on a hard drive somewhere hidden away. But, um, you know, I came across some photos from that first season and uh, credit to Clark, he, he put together, um, you know, together with the rest of the staff from from Ranchi, a, a really incredible team. I mean, we had we had the Jokers uh, in, in the likes of Flores Avers. Um, we had, you know, the more serious guys, but the, the, the absolute geniuses on the hockey ball. Mo Furster, who was also actually a bit of a joker, um, now that I mention it. Uh, Ashley Jackson, uh, Nick Wilson from uh, from New Zealand. Um, obviously, Ozzy and I uh, sitting there wide-eyed as, as South Africans, um, you know, uh, hanging around with, with some of these superstar players, which, you know, looking back at it now, also those relationships have forged into friendships and I'm still in touch with uh, with most of those guys, um, you know, and, and I think that's the great thing about, that for me was the great thing about the Hockey Indy League, not only with my, my, my time at Runchy, but also my couple of years at Delhi. Um, I met so many incredible people, uh, not only, you know, other international players playing in the league, but, but Indian players that, you know, you, you wouldn't have necessarily had the time or the opportunity to spend that extended period of time with if it wasn't for the Hockey India League, um, which, is, uh, which is quite special. So uh, very, very grateful, obviously, to Clarkie for, for, you know, putting a bid down on me in that first league. Um, and uh, and obviously then Paul Revs, uh, who was involved with Delhi uh, when I went over there. So uh, South Africans looking after South Africans. Yeah, of course. And I mean, obviously, Hockey India is, uh, you, you play in probably the greatest country to play hockey in, in, in Holland. But uh, India must be one of the most special countries to play in as well. Um, is it is it as good as what you imagine it would be? 
in India, you know, we spent a lot of time playing in India up until the Hockey India League. Um, so we'd been back and forth for a couple of tournaments. Uh, we played the World Cup, the Commonwealth Games there. Um, so I spent a lot of time playing in India. And, and apart from playing against India, I was often quite underwhelmed by, by the crowds because if India is playing, then it's absolute chaos and carnage and the stands are full. But if India isn't playing, then there's, you know, a couple of guys and a dog watching in the stands, a couple of uh, strays running around. Um, but Hockey India League, uh, especially playing in Ranchi, uh, that was that was a different world. Um, we had the most fanatical fans that packed out the stadium, you know, an hour before the game had even started. And, you know, the people couldn't get in anymore because the, the, the stands were jam-packed. Um, they got a little bit too fanatical a couple of times. At one point, I'm not too sure who the opponent was, but uh, very much like uh, Serie A football, there were some uh, projectiles being hurled towards the opponents when they got into the attacking circle. Um, but, you know, just, just being a part of that environment was, was really, really special. Um, and after winning it in our home stadium in that first edition, we could barely leave the stadium. I mean, our bus was literally just you know being climbed on and we had to force our way out through the crowds. And we ended up stopping in the street and just jumping out of the bus and dancing in the streets with, with, with the public. It was absolutely incredible. And it was something that, um, you know, wouldn't probably necessarily happen here in the, in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not seeing many people, you know, stopping our bus from getting out of the, <laughs> the stadium when we, when we win a championship. Um, unless it's the opposition support and they're not happy with us. But you know, generally it's, it's, it's fairly controlled and, 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 you know, you know, golfers clap when, when things are going well and a little bit of an ah when things aren't going that well, it's very different in India, you know? So I think I've been, I've been really fortunate to play, you know, in some of the, the, the meccas of hockey around the world during my career. Um, India being obviously one of them, the Netherlands being another and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've even played in in Electrostol, Russia. Uh, obviously, you know, one of the homes of hockey. So, I've been I've been really lucky to uh, uh, see the world with uh, with the sport that I play. Justin, just sticking with India uh, for for a brief period. I've I've been there as well, and I've I've spent time there from a cricketing perspective. And cricketers from South Africa, while they don't play in front of crowds anything near that when it comes to domestic cricket, of course they've had a fair taste when it comes to international cricket back home in South Africa, I mean. So you play yeah. in an ODI against India, Australia, you, you're probably going to play in front of a, a packed house. So they were yeah. fairly used to playing in front of huge crowds, uh, just not on a domestic front. And and going yeah. over there, I mean, that certainly would have blown their minds completely. I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like for a hockey player to go over because <laughs> you say you yeah. go over to this cauldron and – Granted, yeah, you got a taste of of, of uh, great fandom over in Europe, but as you mentioned, not necessarily, not even close to the likes of uh, what you experience in India. And then from South Africa, I mean, that's barely scratching the surface. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's complete chalk and cheese. It, it, it's a it's a world of contrasts. So I, I can't imagine what that must be like playing in there from a South African hockey player's point of view. Yeah, no, very very difficult to describe and. Um, you know, I think I think the nicest thing about it was getting that opportunity to play in a situation where you couldn't hear your teammates from a meter away. Um, you know, it, it really kind of prepared me, I think, for for playing in kind of bigger games later on in my career. Um, obviously, I had the the, the 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 
pleasure of playing for South Africa at the Olympics. And that had a couple of moments where it was loud and there were, you know, a lot of uh, big pressure moments. But, you know, those kind of those things kind of come and go during your during your career. And playing in India, I think also, yeah, prepared me for a lot more of those later on. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain it does. And and just going back to that, sorry, Ty. I mean, it, having seen the crowds, having seen the 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 rush that it gave players, fans, administrators alike. I mean, it it, it is just heartbreaking that it's now defunct. I mean, do you, do you see it ever ever coming back into the the hockey world? Well, I, you know, when when we heard that it wasn't going to be going ahead for for the what would have been the sixth edition. Um, yeah, that, that was a heartbreaking moment. Um, not only for myself, I think I might have been pushing uh, the end of my uh, my career in terms of playing in India, but for a lot of the kind of younger players coming through that had started proving themselves and, and making a name for themselves. Obviously, there's a massive financial benefit to playing in India. Um, and that's something that not a lot of players get to experience. Um, but that's certainly not the be-all and end-all of, of playing in India. I think the, the exposure for Indian hockey was massive and you've seen the, the kind of rebuild that they've experienced since the introduction of the Hockey India League and how well they're doing at an international level now. Um, I, you know, I think the benefits far outweigh the, the negatives, but I don't know the ins and outs of the financials and I'm, I, yeah, uh, I'm relatively certain it probably wasn't turning a massive profit. So... You know, from a from a bottom line perspective, it, it probably made financial sense not to continue with it. Um, I think if there's a way of of starting it again, it'll have to be a complete rebrand. It'll have to be a new product completely. Um, I don't. I personally don't think that you can restart something uh, once you've stopped it for a couple of years. You're not going to get that same buy-in, and you're not going to get that same um, experience that you had that you had previously. Um, and we already started feeling it a little bit in the in the final year when they had the Pro Kabaddi League uh, running at the same time, um, which was getting prime time TV coverage, and all we ever saw on TV in the evenings was reruns of Kabaddi. Uh, Jabu, I don't know if you know anything about Kabaddi, but you can maybe explain it to the to the listeners. I don't. I, I was about <laughs> to ask you what the heck is Kabaddi. Kabaddi, I, I'm probably going to do a terrible job of explaining it, but it's basically like like it's basically a game of tag, like between two teams. That is, it's, 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 yeah, yeah, but it's professional, and these guys wear basically just their underwear. Uh, um, a, a body. Run, ka, a body. Kabaddi, yeah, with a K. Kabaddi. Uh, and <laughs> what Wikipedia it's, it's says. Fascinating, it's fascinating to watch. It's a contact team sport played between two teams of seven players. And the objective of a player is for a single player on offense to run into the opposing team's half of a court, tag out as many of the defenders as possible, or return to your own half of the court. I am definitely going to go find this on YouTube now. Yeah, I'm going to Please do go that. do yourself a favor and, go watch and, now. and Google the Pro Kabaddi League. I can't actually, I think that's what it was called in India. Um, I'm pretty sure there's international uh, versions of Kabaddi as well. Um, and it is, it is, it is worth a watch. Um, but but in India at the time, that 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 started getting a lot more airtime than than hockey in the league in the fight in the final year. So I think the writing that, was on the wall at that stage. That is a question in the quiz next week. Yeah, <laughs> name the sport. I'm going to show a photo. And and, and Justin is going to be playing, so he's going to have a, a bit of a 
an advantage. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just another thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, obviously now you've had uh, an amazing career. You've you've made a life out of hockey. You've, you've uh, got to move overseas. Uh, but you now are as well, uh, what most people will probably know is you are a father now as well. Um, your own father was a national hockey player. You were a national hockey player. Is uh, little Ben taken to hockey yet? He's got a little stick around the house, and he's a big fan of basically smashing everything except the hockey ball with it. So uh, <laughs> I, I had to start hiding the, hiding the vases and uh, and yeah, anything else of value in the house. Um, he's got pretty good hand-eye coordination so far. He is only eighteen months, so I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, he's not, he's not like baby Tiger Woods, uh, you know, training 18 footers, uh, across the house. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you, that you asked the question, you know, my wife and I have been, you know, we discuss it every now and again, who knows if he, if he wants to play hockey, then, 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 you know, power to him. And, and, and if he doesn't, and he prefers to be, you know, uh, creative in, in another kind of way, um, yeah, whatever he does is 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 going to make me proud. Um, I, you know, my dad said the same thing to me growing up. In the early days, I didn't want to play hockey, and it didn't bug him, it didn't disappoint him. But as soon as I showed an interest in hockey and I needed some help, I went to him. Um, he never pushed me in any direction whatsoever. And when I wanted to play cricket, you know, I wanted to be a keeper. He taught me how to keep. And when I wanted to play football, I was a keeper as well. Funny how I never ended up going in goal like he did in hockey. Um, probably because my mother, mother forbade it. It was never going to happen from mom's side. But um, yeah, I think I think for me that was also a great lesson in parenting, and in terms of you know letting letting the law man make his own decision and, and pave his own way. And if he decides he wants to play hockey, I'll be there. But if he decides, yeah, uh, you know he wants to learn how to curl uh, or he wants to learn how to ski because we're in, you know uh, you know speed skate. Um, whatever, because we're in the Netherlands. Yeah, I'll be there. I mean, I don't know how to speed skate to save my life, but I'll be there in my you know, winter suit and on the side of the of the of the skating rink. Yeah, you're not uh, the first okay. person to say this because uh, we've had numerous guests on the show which come from big hockey background families, uh, second, third generations, etc. And and I've often posed the question, you know, were you pushed into having to take part in the sport? And they yeah. said, well, yeah. no, that, that that wasn't the case whatsoever. But through assimilation. And the fact yeah. that you're constantly surrounded by hockey, it, it just became a natural progression. And, and, and that's how, how things went. And like you said, I mean, you, you started off as an uh, aspiring rugby player. It, it's interesting when you mentioned about uh, later sports that you took on, uh, the hockey, etc. I mean, the, the football, etc. Yeah. and cricket. Um, you gave up the ghost of rugby. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, at the time... Um the choice between I, I moved to Pretoria and, I, and the only option for me to play rugby was to go and join a rugby club, a junior rugby club. Uh, now being a PE boy um, and coming from an English speaking family and having gone to great junior, I'd never spoken a word of Afrikaans or Netherlands, <laughs> barely heard a word of Afrikaans in my life. And I got to Harlequins rugby club in Pretoria and I was the only uh, short bill in the, in the group. Uh, I don't know if you can use that. Yeah, of course. That as well. No, no, no. But, um, I, I, yeah, I rocked up and, you know, I, I got in the line and got a pass, flung a nice little uh, spin pass down the line and immediately got sent for a lap around the field because we hadn't got to spin passing yet. Um, <laughs> and that was it for me. Uh, I, I got sworn at in Afrikaans and I had no idea what I was doing wrong. And I walked off the field and I said, I'm never going back. 
and that, then that was it. So uh, continued playing soccer. I kind of played uh, football, soccer uh, my whole youth. My grandfather was a, a fanatical football player. Um, and yeah, I, I guess yeah that, that that never left. That never left. I still love kicking a football around. Um, uh, actually, actually, I just love any kind of sport. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those classic South African kids that just whenever we you go outside and you're with your mates, there's a ball involved. Um, we were out today in Amsterdam Forest for one of our mates' birthdays, and there was a soccer ball, a rugby ball, and Aussie rules football, which I've become quite adept in kicking. I will, I will mm. say, um, being exposed to my Aussie friends here. But there's there's something about it. I don't know what it is. What is it about guys and kicking a ball or throwing a ball? Uh, it's just the most fun thing in the world to do. Ah, it is uh, the, the greatest the greatest invention uh, for me is a is a ball. There's a ball. Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what ball. If, if yeah, somebody exactly. rocks up with a tennis ball, guys are stoked. Yeah, yeah I was going to I was gonna say, the tennis ball ranks probably right at the top because uh, I'll never oh, forget versatility. growing up. Yes. Yeah, versatility. I mean, growing up, I, I mean, my parents went to the shop and like they came home with a, a three-pack of tennis balls. Three-pack of tennis balls. Oh, oh man, you opened that, got, that tin. Golden. Yeah, that first one got the masking tape on it. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah, on the one side. Yeah, yeah on the one swing. side for swing. Classic. Then you'd have one that you'd play cricket with. You'd have tennis. You'd play hockey. I mean, like my brother was a, a hockey goalkeeper, and and we, we used to practice with him, uh, mm-hmm. either hitting tennis balls or golf balls. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> it was fantastic until I broke windows, and then and I'm surprised, I'm surprised you didn't sneak a golf uh, golf ball through that helmet into the visor. Well, I, I did. did. <laughs> I'm a, uh, I'm, uh, yeah, listen, my brother quit hockey not long after that. But uh, I must actually tell you, I, I once decided I was going to learn how to drag flick. And I was about uh, 16 years of age. I was a defender. And I decided I'm going to learn. So I watch a few videos and I go out to the back of my brother's there. He's 19. He's got his kit. So I'm like, I'm going to flick at you. And we had one of those small uh, metal goals. Yeah. And I couldn't get the ball up. I couldn't get the ball up. So I was like, screw it. And I just undercut the ball. And as I <laughs> undercut the ball, I, I mean, it was a beautiful undercut. You know, yeah, back in the day on grass hockey, that was a proper oh. weapon. Um, and I crack like it seven, straight like against. seven iron, catching the seven iron. Yeah, perfect seven iron. It hits the corner of the post and it shoots off and smashes my sister in the face. Oh, <laughs> and no. uh, oh, I was in no. so much trouble because obviously she ran inside. Siren hit me with a hockey ball, and I was like, oh. but, uh, I mean, it was actually like, if you saw this on video, we would have gone viral. Yeah. You would have gone viral, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Jeez, we, we, we all missed the, we missed the age of uh, virality, didn't we? Yeah. I, I, can yeah. tell, I can tell you what, one sport that doesn't feature a ball is this Kambadi, and I've been trying <laughs> yeah. to follow it. And look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm following it without audio or anything, and I need to go and work out the rules, but why? It, look, it looks Get rubbish. Some audio as well. Indian commentary, Hindi commentary is incredible. I, I I can't. I'm trying to work on the rules. It's the most uh, bizarre. You've, you've, you, 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 I think I think the person that's like on or that goes across to tag players from the opposition is yeah. called. It's kind of like called a hunter or a tagger or, or something like that. Okay, but so he, he approaches. Player, yeah, he then, approaches a group of guys. Yeah, and then and you're all... going to try and touch as many of them as possible, and then get back to your own square, oh. your own half without being touched by them. Because they tackle guys. I mean, it's it's almost yeah. on a par with rugby in terms of physicality. You know? Yeah, it is. 
I'm impressed. This is with where, much, uh, it's like basically a bunch of scrum halves running after each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, <laughs> this is where J.K. Rowling got the idea for Quidditch from. For Quidditch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, just just uh, before we we move along into the the dreaded, daunted, exciting one question quiz. Uh, yeah, I'm nervous about this because I, yeah, I heard I heard I heard Clarkies. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm 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 hoping that there's a bit of a trend there that I picked the, up on. There is usually, but is. Derek also, we've been asking a lot of sports questions lately. So oh, um, I wanted to do a, a quick fire with you before we go into oh, that. Oh, I like a quick fire. Love Excellent. It. Uh, so uh, who is the best roommate you ever had on Twitter? Oh, jeez, you're throwing me under the bus here. Um, the next I'm gonna one go, more under the bus. I'm going to go with Austin Smith. Uh, good banter. A good mate, uh, always easy to listen. Uh, listen to a lot of my bitching and moaning over the years. Um, also had to listen to a lot of his, but uh, yeah, just a, a really, really good value guy to have in the room. Great. So, who's the worst roommate to have? Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I'm gonna. I'm, oh man, don't know if I can say this. Yeah, you can. If you're going Chuck, then um, you can. I'm just going to go Chuck. That's definitely <laughs> easiest. It's, it's yeah. going to save me. A, it's going to save me probably backlash from another uh, international hockey community. So I'm going to go with Lloyd Norris Jones. Um, dirty, smelly, uh, yeah, <laughs> just just all the horrible things that you don't want to have in a roommate. All right, on 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 a team bus before a game, which player should be allowed to play the music for the team? Oh. Are we, are we talking national side? Uh, anyone you've played with. But nas- national, mm. anyone? No, nah, anyone. Keep it to anyone you've played with. Anyone I've played with. Oh, this is... A, okay, so I'm speaking from personal taste here. Yeah, um, I'm going with Fergus, Fergus Kavanagh. Yeah. We are on the same page when it comes to music. Um, but in terms of getting a team vibe going, um, Jan Willem Besant from Amsterdam uh, is a bit of a groove master. Uh, as a guy that was always in charge of the of the music at the club, um, I think he fancied himself a bit of a DJ as well. So he always had some good mixes. Um, so for a vibe, definitely uh, uh, Vimpy Basant. Which player needs to get off of social media? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is a good question because I follow a lot of South African athletes <laughs> on social media that drive me mad. Um, the question is, why haven't I unfollowed them? I guess I'm a sucker for punishment. Jeez, this is, this is tough. Oh, man. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep it easy and stick with Lloyd Norris Jones again because it's just the easiest, <laughs> it's the easiest one to fall back on. Um, although his stuff, is, his content has got better lately. The, the more personal stuff is good. Um, Chucky sharing his opinion on stuff is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can, we can, we can lay off of that. <laughs> Who needs the hairdresser most after lockdown? <laughs> Jeez, I wish I could. I wish I could say myself. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that that's obviously not going to be the case. Um, I haven't seen Smith in a while, and it's very possible that he might go get some of those grey hairs covered up. So uh, Wade Payton as well. Uh, also, a lot of salt and pepper coming through there. Although I know his missus really likes it, so he probably might not be able to get that uh, get that taken care of. No, no. I mean, when you marry someone with the same name as your brother, it gets very confusing. <laughs> um, uh, that's awesome. And then, of course, 
other than Justin Reed Ross, who is the world's best drag flicker? Oh, good question. Good, good, good question. Um, I am a current or past? No, no let's go past. Past. Past for me, um, it, it's impossible to look past Sahel, Sahel the bus. Um, oh man, just, just an absolute powerhouse draft flicker. I mean, if I thought if I thought I ever flicked the ball hard, uh, Sahel looked like I was underarming uh, the ball in towards the goal. I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, I loved watching him. I loved his nonchalance. I loved the way he celebrated. Uh, yeah, uh, an absolute legend of drag flicking and somebody that I have always looked up to uh, and probably always look will look up to. Um, a very, very close second, obviously, Taka Takuma um, yeah. and Brom Lomans. I think they're pretty close on a par together. Um, and I guess if we're speaking current, uh, I mean, technically, I think he's now retired, so this is also a bit touch and go, but Christopher Zella is, again, yeah. another one. Um, but very, very current at the moment, uh, Gonzalo Payat. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's, there's anybody else. Um, in terms of consistency, in terms of power, in terms of technique, uh, Gonzo is also just a nice guy uh, and works incredibly, incredibly hard at his craft. Um, so, yeah, that, that that would be the the easy one for the for the current one. Right, and final question. Uh, obviously, the last dance has garnered international acclaim. Uh, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix. Um, mm. Who would be the best person to make a documentary about in the hockey world? Best person to make a documentary about in the hockey world. Yeah. Who's going to compete with Last Dance? That's a very, very good question. Um, we, we might compete more with Tiger King, but... <laughs> I, 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 th- I think, I think if, we, if we're looking at South African players, we're probably looking closer to Tiger King. Um, <laughs> I'm looking mostly at myself. Would be Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, oh, that's a very, very, very good question. Um, I think it would be quite a close one between Jamie Dwyer and probably Moritz Furster. Uh, if I'm speaking about players from, from my generation kind of that I've, I've watched playing the game. Um, I'm probably missing a couple of players here easily that, that, that could fit the bill, but I think Mo, in terms of the way he went about himself um, internationally, um, also outspoken, um, liked to challenge the rules. Um, but I think in terms of probably a singular ability to turn a game on its head, uh, Jamie Dwyer is probably a difficult one to look past. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Derek, over to you. Yeah, before we get into the dreaded one-question quiz, Going to deal with a, a bit more other trivia detailing. Um, firstly, I mentioned it right at the beginning uh, regarding the Netherlands. Tyron alluded to it, and, and this is the reason why. And it absolutely grates me when people refer to the Netherlands as Holland. And, Holland, please yeah, don't. Uh, so can you please expand on that as to why it, it, it's not? Sure thing. So Holland uh, is a shortening of often what is known as North Holland. Uh, which is actually a province. So you have North Holland and South Holland, which are both provinces. Amsterdam, the city, is in the province of North Holland. 
And I think literally because people just see Amsterdam in Holland, uh, they've just decided to start calling it Holland. Okay, there we go. I don't go. know if you can elaborate on that more. Uh, no, no. That's I'm, my understanding of it. Yeah, that's fine. I just, uh, every time I always, because uh, as mentioned, we host these uh, lockdown sports trivias every Tuesday and Wednesday, yeah. actually. And yeah, every time the, the name gets mentioned, Holland, and, and I'm very critical. I said, no, sorry, I'm not counting that. It has to be Netherlands. No, and that's has to be Netherlands, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're spot on. It's, um, it's, a, it's a common mistake. Um, and there's probably a, a whole Wikipedia story. I think there's actually a very interesting video online about it somewhere. And they also explain the difference between um, London and the city of London. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll see if I can find the link. Okay, so cool. There's one about Holland on that as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Okay, cool. So we got that out the way. Next yeah. um, uh, th- <laughs> objective on the list is to find out when are we going to be seeing you in the lockdown sports quiz? Um, no, you're throwing me under the bus now. Uh, let's do it next week. I'm in next week. Okay, excellent. Uh, if, I don't know if, when this if, if you still got a gap for me, no, whenever the next edition is, promise you we'll make a gap. Doesn't matter. Cool, you can call us a minute before and, and we'll make place. Okay, done. So we'll, that's we'll put it on Twitter just to uh, yeah, Ty's gonna advertise it right now, actually. Okay, Perfect. so that's that's that sorted. Um, I'm just gonna expand a little bit onto Tyron's question. He asked who would be the best person to feature documentary about in the hockey world. I want to know, who's the best actor to play Justin Reed Ross in a a movie about his life? (laughs) Arnold Arnold Foster. (laughs) I don't know. I think Joe Exotic could pull it off, Jay. Said, that's a bit harsh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Although with the, with, the, with the current mustache situation I've got going on, probably fair. Um, no, I mean, I think it, I think it would have to be Arnold Fussler if you saw him in The Mummy. No, um, there's no... no. Have you looked no. at him now? No, they're not making the movie 20 years ago. They're making it now. Ah. Fussler's like 65. Jeez, have you seen me recently? <laughs> I feel 65. <laughs> um, uh, you, I mean, again, you could, you could go Billy Zane. Another very, very good-looking bald man. Um, <laughs> let's see. Who else have we got? Jason Statham. I, I could I could see myself as a Jason Statham. Maybe get Guy Ritchie to direct. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be disappointed about that. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Also slightly yeah. older, but uh, yeah, who, who's counting? Okay, cool. So that's out the way. Let's get into the one-question quiz. And we're going to stick with the actor theme. And it's actually a oh, two-part nice. question, this one. Okay. Um, I want to know who is the most... Famous character that the actor David Schwimmer played on television. The most famous character that David Schwimmer played? Yeah. That's Ross Geller from Friends. Ross Geller from Friends. Okay, congratulations. That's uh, half a point uh, now to complete. I want to na- I want to know uh, the rest of the five characters from Friends, name and surname. Name and surname of the characters? Yeah. Okay, Monica Geller. Rachel Green, Joey Tribbiani, uh, Phoebe Buffay, and from one of the most famous episodes, Janand LeBong. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, you smashed it out the park. Well, you, you put it in the top corner of the net with the plum, as uh, we expect you to do. Well done, Jeez, you actually blew that away. I, 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 I'll admit that I have watched Friends from episode one to the final episode probably three times. Oh, uh, magnificent. I, Absolute, like massive fan of it. So very, very good choice of question this evening. Oh, ex- well, yeah, <laughs> completely. Yes. I, I can't guarantee that this will be asked at the lockdown sports trivia there. Do, do please, please ask it because I've got a chance then. <laughs> nah, but, but you know what we will do? 
we will ask a with the class a question. Oh, jeez. I don't know if, you're not, if I'm the right person to ask that to you either. No, no, no. no. Nice we'll one. make it like this. Who is the top scoring foreign international player in with the class? <laughs> You could probably make it a little bit more difficult than that, but I like the, I like, I like the idea of getting some hockey in there. And and the other Maybe question hockey in every single week. And 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 the uh, other question will be who is the top toucher for 2019's Kabaddi League? <laughs> the pro Kabaddi League. Yeah. I'm throwing I'm I'm throwing ten Kabaddi questions in. Oh, it's 100 percent correct. I can't wait. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, Justin, it's been so, so great chatting to you. Jeez, we've, uh, normally we go at around 45, 50 minutes an interview. Uh, we're pushing at the 120 mark, and uh, yeah, we could easily go for another one hour 20. But uh, yeah, I think Ben and uh, Ash will be a little <laughs> bit upset with us. I think your guys also, your families also probably need a bit of quality time. So uh, thanks again, no, my, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. sleeping, it's quality time. Mine, mine are too. So uh, I've just got, got the dog snoring in the background. That's it. Oh, excellent. Okay, cool. So maybe just grab a cup of coffee and we'll start the next half of the interview. Hey, I'm, I'm ready. I've, I, I, do I have to get coffee or can I pour another whiskey? Anywhere to go. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, keep that whiskey on stock. Well, mind you, you're not in South Africa, so you're you freely to eva- <laughs> Don't worry, able to go get. <laughs> yeah. I need to make a plan for you guys. Yeah, you do. But uh, keep it on hand as well just for uh, the Lockdown Sports Trivia. It does get uh, pretty long and uh, pretty competitive. You're going to have a ball. But Sounds Justin, we've had, an, we've had an absolute ball, talking balls and everything else uh, on the show. And yeah, best of luck for the rest of your hockey career. Now, I can guarantee that you'll be featuring as a guest on Hockey the Podcast sooner rather than later again. I look forward to it, guys. Thanks again for your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for getting me involved. It was, uh, it was really good fun. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Justin. Keep well and uh, regards to the family. Thanks, guys. Likewise. Take Cheers. care. Cheers. Ah, oh, fantastic stuff. Uh, listening to an absolute legend of the game, a legend of South African hockey. And what a nice guy, Ty. Yeah, so, you know, um, obviously each week when uh, we record, my wife, Kath, asks me, who did you get? Now, now Kath, you must understand, she's a hockey fan, but not a hockey fanatic, um, because she kind of has to be. Um, and uh, I told her today, I said to her, listen, no, tonight uh, we're recording, obviously we recorded two episodes tonight, so I said we're recording Lenny, and she knows Lenny well because we've had a few bras with him, and she loves him, and then I said... And we're recording Justin Reed Ross, and she's like, oh my word, that's the second biggest one you've ever done. <laughs> um, and obviously, the one that was the biggest in her mind was PD, which we released a couple of weeks ago. And and it's true. I mean, Justin hasn't played for South Africa since the 2014 World Cup, but his name is absolutely massive here in South Africa. He is a, a world-class star. He is one of the best uh, exports of our game, and he is one of the best drag flickers not just in South Africa, but in the world of hockey. So, um, yeah, what a what a pleasure chatting with him. Uh, absolutely fantastic, and uh, yeah, um, what a what a great what a great chat. Brilliant, brilliant guy. What a gentleman, and uh, a, a fantastic ambassador for South Africa. I can't wait to see him at the Lockdown Sports Quiz. That's going to be a jewel. Yeah, he probably by the time this is uh, released, he probably would have uh, played already. So, um, yeah, Justin, thanks for joining the Lockdown Sports Quiz the other <laughs> night when you listened to this. It was absolutely great having you there. And uh, Derek, yeah, we may very well have to cut this into two episodes just to make sure that everybody gets to uh, listen to it for extra long. Yeah, I agree. I think so. One hour 20 we are pushing at. 
uh, a magnificent interview and it absolutely flew by because yeah justin can just go on and on and on with in-depth conversation and you can see how how passionate he was uh, about speaking um everything and more when it comes to, to hockey and south africa so yeah uh, great to have him on board and thank you very much for listening and thank you siren for uh, another great guest and for another great show ah we're inching closer to 50 we cannot rate to uh raise our sticks and uh, say thank you to everybody for listening and, and joining us on this pretty cool adventure brilliant can't wait cheers cheers <laughs>